Hi there, and welcome to season one of The Practice, a podcast by Align Technology. I'm your host, Chris Barrow, and in each episode, I connect with successful orthodontists in the Middle East region to get to know them, understand their mindsets, their motivations, and how they've built their practice to where it is today. And today, I'm talking to an orthodontist based in Dammam, Saudi Arabia, who is a consummate overachiever whose friendly and laid-back exterior hides a driven perfectionist. I, I love my work. I like what I do. I, I try to do the best I can. Uh, I have an OCD part of me, but it's, it's getting better by time. But I, I am OCD when it comes to preciseness of providing or rendering dental care. But the psychological aspect plays a huge role of success because you can be the best doctor. You, like Your skills can be excellent, but if you have a bad way of communicating or meeting the expectations or explaining things or, or easing the process that the patients feel throughout the journey of treatment, it, it could be classified in the patient's mind as a failure, although you did everything perfectly. This is Dr. Suleiman, emphasizing the importance of people's skills when it comes to the field of dentistry and how it is the cornerstone of his philosophy of patient care. As humans, when we discuss or we socialize, there's always a personal space, right? Like when I talk to someone, I, I don't stick my head next to their face. There's always this. In dentistry, literally, our heads are next to the patient's head. Like we're invading their personal space. And we have to be very uh, aware and conscious about this and, uh, and respect it at the same time. Today, I'm talking with him from Demam, where he's an administrator, clinician, educator, and researcher. In this episode, we're going to get a window into his world, talk about his practice as both an academic and an orthodontist, the many challenges that come with balancing professional ambition with a personal life, and what it's like to operate on the most challenging patient known to the field of orthodontics. That's the rat. Yes, as in the animal. So if you've been sufficiently intrigued, it's time for the episode. And I have to say, um, you know, the the, uh, the briefing notes that I was fortunate enough to receive before our conversation, first of all, how interesting, but secondly, how extensive. Um, looking at this list of things that you have been involved in, you must be at least 200 years old uh, to have <laughs> yes. got through all of these things. <laughs> uh, well, so, uh, I, I, I might look like 200 years old, but I, I hope I'm biologically not 200 years. So, <laughs> and uh, we're we're probably and and here here is a clue for our listeners because we are probably going to be at some stage in this conversation about that wonderful subject work life balance because I do know that by your own admission, you have actually described yourself as a workaholic. And uh, so it may well be that actually what has happened is that you've just simply crammed 200 years of activity into the time that the rest of us all share with you. And uh, that that journey, can you take me back to the beginning of your journey into healthcare? Because obviously the very first and most important um issue perhaps here is that your both of your parents were uh, medics so uh, tell, tell me a little bit about your parents 
about your childhood and about perhaps the influence they had on you in bringing you into dentistry? Right. So I, I was raised in a family of uh, physicians. So my, my father is an endocrine surgeon. My mother is a gynecologist. Uh, and uh, they both retired many years ago, more than 20 years ago. And um, growing up, I, um, uh, my parents always felt that I'm a person who who is good in dealing with humans in a social level, and I'm, I'm compassionate and that kind of stuff, and dedicated to my work and studies. So they felt that I should probably go to a medical field, yet they advised me not to go into anything that involves on-calls. So uh, starting from there, I always knew that I wanted to do something related to, you know, working with people. I'm a people's person. That's something that I really, really like and uh, helping people also is, is something nice, you know, working as a community. And it's something that is gratifying from, for every person when, when, you know, when you lend a hand and try to help others. And uh, so um, they advised me to go on something that doesn't involve any on-calls. And I had a hobby of charcoal drawing. So I was always good with drawing and the dexterity and that kind of stuff. So they thought, well, why not try dentistry? And uh, that's when, uh, when I applied to college. Um, that was one of my, my, my goals. I wanted to do uh, the specialty of, uh, of dentistry. And I went into it and uh, I'm so glad. It's, it's, it's a long journey, an exciting journey. But it, 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 it's, it's a complex specialty. And um, between um, some handwork, uh, dealing with people, doing a lot of didactics, and um, I, I kind of sank into it. And... Um, it's, it does give you a broad view of multiple skills, I would say, because you need to have the neuromuscular coordination part and, of course, the intellectual part and the planning part. Uh, the planning part I enjoy a lot, and this is why I specifically chose to pursue my specialty in orthodontics because orthodontics deals a lot with... Um, with doing, uh, with planning and treatment planning. So, uh, so after I finished high school, going back to kind of my life journey, uh, I joined uh, King Abdulaziz University in Jeddah, which is a beautiful coastal metropolitan city uh, on the western uh, region of the country. It's probably the second largest city in the country, and I spent uh, seven beautiful years there. Uh, I did my uh, six years of my studies, and then we do a one year of uh, internship. Kind of shadowing and 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 uh, kind of uh, you know shadowing other doctors in the clinics and exploring what you want to specialize in. Uh, and in during that year, um, uh, that was when I really consolidated the idea in my head that I wanted to do orthodontics. And after I finished the six years of undergrad and the one year of internship, that's where I joined a private practice for about uh, six months to a year. Uh, and I also joined a government tertiary hospital. So I was basically working five days a week, uh, the morning from eight till five. And then in the evening, I was working from six almost to 10. So I was like doing two jobs. But I, you know, I was a bachelor and uh, the time in between was uh, going to the gym, doing some exercise. But uh, I did that for almost a year or, or close to a year, six months to a year. And then I joined the university as a teaching assistant. And uh, teaching assistance is by basically like a mini faculty where you help uh, the faculty 
and the professors in their academic duties and clinics. And then I was fortunate to get a scholarship to pursue my postgraduate study in orthodontics. And this is when I flew to the U.S. Uh, when I arrived in the U.S., that was in 2010. That was also the year where I married my beautiful wife, Inas, and we moved uh, into the U.S. I moved to the northeastern region, into Boston, and I stayed there for five uh, beautiful, uh, joyful, uh, full of events, uh, five years. And uh, that's where I did my orthodontic degree at Boston University Henry M. Goldman School of Dental Medicine. I also did a doctoral degree, which is an equivalent to, to PhD. Uh, I did the American Board of Orthodontics and the Canadian Board, which is the um, being a fellow of the Royal College of Dentists of Canada. And then my son Yusuf was also born in Boston, so that's why it's it's very close to our heart as well. And uh, then I moved one year to um, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, and I did a one year of uh, craniofacial surgical and special needs uh, orthodontics fellowship. So uh, we treat a lot of kids with deformities, with medical problems, with surgical problems, and then we spend one year there. It was also a really beautiful city, although we only spent one year, but our daughter, Lean, was born there as well. So uh, this is why both of these cities are close to our heart, because we lived there, but also both of our children were born there. And then I came back to Saudi, and I started with the new roller coaster. So <laughs> <laughs> so um, talk about, I, I know this might sound, a, in a way, a bit of an obvious question, but talk about the influences that brought you back to Saudi. Was it about getting back to family? Was it about cultural roots? What were the reasons? Obviously, uh, you know, potentially a very bright future ahead of you in the United States, but um, you've made this decision to come back home again. Just talk me through that. Right. So a, a big part of this, uh, honestly, Chris, is because um, I got a scholarship to study uh, in the U.S. to come back and teach at the university. So basically, I was on a scholarship by a university, uh, and I have to go back and teach, which which I don't mind. I mean, I feel uh, I feel it's very important. Any any individual in life, like. You know, if if you had this big support from a whether it's a governing body or or, or family or friends, it's always good gift to uh, good to give back, go back to the community and teach. And um, uh, I'm I'm really happy that I, I that I did this step because um, uh, it, for me it was amazing since I came back because there I am. I you know um, at the beginning of my um, I don't know if I can call it a professional career, but basically at the beginning of, of actually starting to only work, not only uh, study. I, I mean, I, I do believe that we are lifelong learners and we learn all the time, but I mean like in a, in a structured study program, that's when basically my education kind of finished in that structural uh, sense. And going back and, and doing, so at this point, I, I think I would say I'm giving more than taking, right? Uh, because before that I was I was getting a lot, but now I'm giving back. And the, I'm really happy with my students. Uh, I'm really proud of them. Um, I think they're very smart, smarter than my generation or what, what I was at the time. And uh, I, I give them a lot. And, and I can see how very gratifying that is. Uh, I, I never knew that, like I, I know faculty or teachers can, can be role models to uh, a lot of their students, but I wasn't sure how impactful that is. If I may uh, mention an uh, instance that I, I remember very well, is at the end of 
uh, teaching the undergraduate students. Uh, always in my the end of the, the last lecture, I, I give my students. I, I, I tell them something, and uh, and I tell them what's very important is that you're going to go out and uh, you will treat patients. And uh, you know, in our respective careers, regardless of what what you do, you can always be. Um, sneaky in the way you approach things or take shortcuts or or do what is not the best thing and the patient will never know right but i always tell them is uh, is is treat everyone as if they they are your family and this is this is a principle that i live by like i treat uh, i treat everyone like a uh, a son a daughter a sister a brother a parent that's that's what i do and uh, and i told them ne- never sell your integrity so regardless of any Financial pressures, uh, work pressures, whatever it might be, never, never sell your integrity. Your integrity should be very high. And after many, many years, um, I always get comments back from students telling me that they remember these words, they remember these um, principles that I preached to them. And I think it's it's really nice to 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 understand that you can help the generations that come and really influence them. I think it's something powerful in a good way. And uh, it's, it's something that I really am um, honored to be part of. What, um, what do you think makes a good teacher? A good teacher, I think one of the most important things is, I mean, there are multiple skills, but one of the most important things is being able to transform or translate the information uh, to the audience in a very clear way and a very attracting way. For me, giving lectures or doing presentations is is, is like a it's like a movie. You know, you, it's, you have to be an artist. Uh, you have to know uh, how to control the flow and disseminate information, and some, sometimes do icebreakers, sometimes do jokes. And uh, but what's important is you have to solidify the information among your students or, or your audience. And uh, that communication piece uh, in a simple and clear format is important. Now, of course, you have to be knowledgeable. Like if, if, I, don't, uh, if I don't have some, something substantial to provide to them, then that's a problem, right? I can be the best speaker or communicator, but I have to provide them with something substantial. But that communication piece is really, really key. And do, what, do, you, um, <clears throat> do you have a very similar approach to your students and your patients. Do you see any difference between that approach or do you see them as being very similar? Uh, in, in the big part, there's there's a big similarity in terms of communicating uh, with them. And, you know, sometimes ma- many things or many misunderstandings can happen throughout uh, dental care. And a lot of that stems out of miscommunication. And, and uh, the clearer you can communicate, uh, the more honest you are in communicating with your patients, uh, the easier things will be, and uh, you avoid uh, any um, shortcomings in the understanding or on the expectations of the treatment. So that's that's important. Now, uh, the difference would be, I guess, when communicating with patients is you have to uh, you have to speak to the uh, to the common tongue. Uh, or, or common language, you know, uh, you should avoid any difficult terms. You sh- should make things simple. I, I like to use analogies. I have tons of analogies. Uh, some of them are funny. Some of them make sense. And uh, but it's 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 really a nice way of uh, of explaining things to people. 
And what I do many times with my patients, I always I start off by asking them what they're studying or, or if they're working, or then I try to kind of relate to what they do. Uh, because ma- ma- many things are, are, are very similar. Uh, like, for example, there's a lot of engineering and dentistry. Uh, there's some biological aspects in dentistry, some psychological aspects. And I, I try to relate to whomever I'm speaking to, to, to help them understand better. I'm interested that the word uh, psychology has um, arrived in the conversation. And certainly, again, as I was um, learning about your career and learning about the way in which you communicate with both students and patients, Um, it's very, very clear to me that understanding the psychology of the person at the other end of the conversation has been a very, very big issue for you, correct? Yes, that's that's absolutely correct. And it's very important. Uh, I mean, I I love my work. I like what I do. I, I try to do the best I can. Uh, I have an OCD part of me, but it's it's getting better by time. But I, I am OCD when it comes to preciseness of providing or rendering dental care. But the psychological aspect plays a huge role of success because you can be the best doctor, you, like your skills can be excellent. But if you have a bad way of, 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 um, of um, communicating or meeting the expectations or explaining things or or easing the process that the patients feel throughout the journey of treatment, it, it could be classified in the patient's mind as a failure, although you did everything perfectly. So this is why for success, they have to be understanding this. And there's a very strong psychological uh, subconscious aspect behind this. And I'll tell you what it is, is what happens is uh, as, as humans, when we discuss or we socialize, there's always personal space, right? Like when I talk to someone, I, I don't stick my head next to their face. There's always this. In dentistry, literally our heads are next to the patient's head, like we're invading their personal space. And we have to be very uh, aware and conscious about this and uh, and respect it at the same time. Uh, This is why I adopt a philosophy of, uh, of, you know, I I, I tell and I show a lot. So every single thing that they will feel or hear or smell, I always tell them before I do the procedure because that makes them feel comfortable. That's very important from a psychological aspect because once a patient feels confident, then it makes you do your work better, right? If they're tense, then it becomes an issue. So you have to do that psychological icebreaker and respecting that personal space invasion that we often do and uh, to make the process easier for both the operator and the patient. So um, when we had to deal with the challenges of COVID, um, and given, of course, this uh, this huge emphasis that you place on understanding what makes the patient tick inside, um, how did you adapt to the digital landscape during the pandemic? That's a very good question. I mean, um, since since COVID struck the world, it it changed a lot of things, and um, uh, well, one of the major, I mean, it changed really every industry and it accelerated digital transformation. And some people um, took uh, advantage of it and trying to be positive and, and doing change in a positive way. And some people it clashed back in a negative way. But I, um, I, I believe um, it, it's important to be, uh, being, to be uh, adaptable. And uh, if I may cite a quote by Charles Darwin and he says, it's not the strongest uh, of the species 
that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that is that is most adaptable to change. And uh, thinking about that, uh, it reminds me of COVID. And we had to change the way we practice, the way we um, we we deal with our patients, the way we acquire information. Uh, I, I think the one of the major changes that are, that have occurred is that. Uh, as as an orthodontist, I, I try to minim or, or try to change the way where I would acquire information. Like if if you can uh, gather data uh, in a non physical format, whatever data you might do, that's all. That's always better or, or minimize contact. And uh, to be honest, one of the nice things that uh, being someone who was always um, adopting uh, digital orthodontics. Uh, I started off doing a lot of uh, clear line therapy, which um, using Invisalign, and uh, that enabled me to monitor my patients and continue their treatment throughout the uh, the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, even though uh, I didn't see them physically. And I, th- I think that was that was a I think it I think it's a major leap. In healthcare, to be able to do that without compromising quality, though I think uh, whatever we do when it comes to digital transformation, it should never be at the expense of compromising quality. But I was able to do that because uh, being an, one of the uh, early adopters, even in the region, and and having a practice that is dedicated to uh, treatment modality based on Invisalign clear liners, I was able to to implement that uh, effectively. So um, as Fingers crossed, we begin to move through this pandemic period. And as fingers crossed, uh, some of our freedoms in terms of movement are restored. Um, How far backwards do you intend to go in terms of pre-COVID communication? And how much of the new technology will stay embedded in the way that you deliver? Okay, very good question, an interesting one. I believe, if, if you ask me, if you ask Solomon, based on what, what I do and what I enjoy in my lifestyle, I do, so I do basically, let's say, clinical treatment, right, where I see patients, and I do also stuff related to teaching because I teach a lot, I lecture a lot. It's something something I really enjoy. And um, so talking about the clinical aspect is, um, I think right now what it is, it's probably going to, remain the same. I, I don't see it to be more restrictive. I think we've reached uh, the clinical climax of restriction uh, based on the medical knowledge uh, and the laws being um, implemented by governing health bodies in, in countries, uh, you know, in terms of the precautions that we take, in terms of all the circulation, that kind of stuff. And it, it didn't change much of what I do because I, I was adopting that digital concept and monitoring uh, that I had before, but in terms of lecturing, uh, what happened during the pandemic, of course, all of the lectures and uh, all of the seminars and symposiums were all done uh, online, uh, which had a lot of advantages because it, within two month period, it was you were able like the amount of knowledge that was disseminated around the world is is amazing. People learned a lot of things, and you were able to reach. A group of 900 or 1,000 uh, people or doctors, as opposed to if you were lecturing uh, in a physical format in a symposium, you would be, for example, 
lecturing to maximum of 200 or 300 or something. So that was that was really something great. Uh, but I have to say it's um, it's still enjoyable for a lot of people to to see people in front of them. You know, it's not just seeing um, a face talking on the computer. I think seeing someone walking around, uh, a lot of the buddy gestures and uh, that make, keeps it more exciting. So I, I, uh, talking to a lot of people in the field is a lot of people are missing that aspect. So I believe going into the future will probably be a hybrid. A lot of things will be hybrid. Well, you would have the physical piece, the physical attendance piece, but it's also, it might be recorded and people might attend overseas. So in a sense, I think um, as a community that uh, around the world globally that teaches and provides uh, information, we've advanced in the way or, or, or we expanded the channels of disseminating information. So it's physical and digital, and it's it's more in a hybrid format. So I think that's where it is and probably will stay. That's my guess. Good. And has this um, digital landscape and has the events of the last two years made you any less of a workaholic or have you simply taken on more? Good question. I think I've taken taken on more. I think I've taken... Well, maybe... Let me take that back. So I think in certain things, in certain things, it was easier. But, uh, okay. So I would, the outreach is more impactful, right? So, for example, uh, I, I give courses uh, to um, uh, orthodontists and, and orthodontic residents uh, nationally in the country. And I used to travel to various institutes, to various universities within the country. So I would give the same material twice or, tr- or thrice, right? But now I will only do it once because everyone logs in. So the impact of a event of teaching is more broad because you can reach a bigger audience. Yet, uh, it's easy for people to request your services because uh, it's easier for you to provide them. You don't have to physically be there. So if I were to have a conversation with your wife and and your children, uh, would they say that they see enough of their dad or would they tell me that they would like to see more of their dad? Right. (laughs) So they they probably would say they would like to see more of their dad. Actually, uh, just walking out, uh, out of the room, before coming into this room, my, 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 my kids were like, Daddy, don't leave, don't they? I said, I'm not leaving. I'm staying here. I'm just in the, the room next to you guys. But I told them, don't come in. <laughs> so when we, finish, when, when we finish this, this interview, you, you get to spend some time with your family right, this evening, right. which is a good thing. Okay. Right. Now, now I'm, I'm going to change um, direction. And I'm going to ask a question which some of our listeners might find a, a surprise. Uh, but I do know that it won't be a surprise to you. Uh, But I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about your professional relationship with rats. Okay, Uh, very, very good question. (laughs) Okay, so so, uh, as as you mentioned in your introduction, I'm a researcher, right? So I I do a lot of research uh, at a university as well, other than my administrative duties and clinical duties and teaching duties also do some research. And one of the interesting things that I've been working on uh, during the last year or more is uh, we've been doing uh, some lab 
tests and some lab research uh, on rats. So basically, we mimic orthodontic tooth movements uh, on rats, and then we study that. And uh, throughout all of my professional career, uh, the most difficult orthodontic treatment that I have ever provided to any patients, if we might call the, the rats patients, was uh, provide, uh, doing orthodontic treatment on rats because literally their mouth is tiny. And uh, it, it's very exciting, though. And uh, it's, it's uh, I mean, rats are amazing species. And, uh, and uh, because they're, um, like, they're, they're very resistant to a lot of things, and um, and they, they they are utilized a lot in research around the world in various uh, fields, and one of these fields is dentistry and orthodontics, and it is exciting uh, because uh, you know we have like this mini OR where we would put them to to sleep, they would get anesthetized, and then we would do our procedures, and then they would wake up, and you know we would give them antibiotics and, and pain medications and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, being very aware of their you know their social well-being and their their emotional well-being and physical well-being is also something important to to consider but it is exciting it is exciting and how does the knowledge that you gain through this research translate itself into the human landscape excellent so one of one of the major issues that we have uh, in orthodontics is that a tooth movement uh, can uh, be lengthy like it takes a lot of time to move teeth so we're, what we're basically trying to do is we're examining tooth movement uh, using orthodontic means and appliances. And um, uh, rats are being injected with various uh, medications. So we're basically studying the effects of certain medications on the tooth movement. So once you've studied that uh, in a consistent manner uh, in, in the lab, uh, and rats, then the next step would be to do it uh, in humans. And of course, there's like a hierarchy and you have to, there are certain uh, criteria before you jump into human study, of course. But basically, these are the beginning, uh, the triggering ideas of where we study the effects of certain medications on tooth movements. And usually these aren't any like bad medications. They're, they're typical medications known to humans. They are medications that humans actually take for some other diseases, Right. And then we use them and see if they have any subsequent effects on tooth movement, right? So they are medications that humans take, but we're not sure how that affects the tooth movement. So this is why we study it in rats and then we can study it. It's quite fascinating. Now, um, I, I, I'm going to now go off in another direction completely. Uh, you mentioned uh, right at the beginning of our conversation that one of the influences that took you into dentistry, orthodontics, was the parallels between treatment planning and the charcoal drawing that you were uh, very keen on. Um, so uh, I have uh, probably a two-part question. Number one, do you still do the charcoal drawing. Tell me a little bit about that. And number two is to expand upon that connection between art and science, because that's a fascinating subject. Right. So uh, from my uh, so from my mother's side, uh, I come from a family of artists. Uh, like her uncle was a sculptor, and also uh, he used to do a lot of drawing. And my grandfather was also a singer. My mother plays uh, a lot on the piano, and my aunt as well. And uh, I, I didn't inherit any of the mu mu musical um, skills, but uh, I inherited the, the, the drawing part. 
So growing up being in, in high school and, and uh, middle school, uh, I used to do a lot of uh, drawings using charcoal and pencils. And I used to draw faces. Like uh, I was fascinated with the, you know, the balance of the human face, the eyes, the nose, the mouth and the teeth and all of that. So we used to do a lot of that. I used to draw buildings as well. So like old buildings. And I, I did a lot of that. And that's kind of where uh, my parents noticed the talent and they figured out, well, maybe dentistry would be something good because there's a lot of dexterity involved. And uh, so this is, uh, this is where that came from. Now, uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I did a little bit going into college. I did a little bit of charcoal drawing. Uh, I do a lot of uh, some horses and some faces and some stuff. But then more towards the end of my college, um, getting busy and, you know, a lot of the exams and that, uh, that kind of stuff. So I, uh, I kind of slowed down on the hobby. And nowadays, unfortunately, I, I, I don't practice it on a uh, regular basis. But sometimes with my kids, you know, um, I show them, I draw with them and, uh, and they enjoy it. So I teach them some principles and uh, I do that sometimes with my daughter and my son. Do you see any early artistic um, uh, talent in your children? Uh, maybe my daughter might be a singer. I don't know. <laughs> she likes to sing. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. She's, she's still five. And, uh, but she, has, she, she knows how to control her, the tone of her voice when she sings, even at a very young age. Like if she, she would sing Happy Birthday, she would you know, play with the tones like for a two years old. So I thought that was uh, kind of creative. Yeah. Uh, my son is more, I guess, of a, a computer geek, probably. <laughs> I don't know. So maybe not into the artistic piece. All right. Now, um, along the way, you have gathered over 7,000 Instagram followers um, on what I have to say is, is a very, very uh, well-maintained um, Instagram profile. How did that happen, and what what is a what's a teacher and academic uh, doing all over Instagram? Cool, cool. That's a really, really good question. Uh, an exciting one. So I, I have to tell you my story, right? So I used to I used to not to be very active on on social media, to be honest. Like when I was in college, uh, during my times in the United States, I was very bad with social media actually i was very focused on my career and studying and you know doing some sports and stuff and then like if i would change my picture on facebook people would congratulate me for changing my picture that's how bad i was okay <laughs> so, but then when i came back to saudi <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, uh i i got into instagram and it, it's a really cool format because the nice thing about it is it builds transparency, first of all. So you can show the work that you do. Uh, the second thing is it's very interactive with my students. So many times I would, this happens like almost on a almost daily or weekly basis. Like I, I would get, you know, certain pictures of certain things sent to me by my students or, or people that I know and asking me questions or what do you think about this and that. And I felt that was really cool because you can, I, here I am, I'm a teacher and I have an added way of, um, of, of adding to my and teaching my students. I, th I thought that was really, really cool because you know how it is with the internet is like some information are correct. Some of them are not. So it, it, it created a, a good way of discussion. The other aspect of this, it was very informative for my, uh, for my patients. Like I have a lot of information 
uh, that is related to uh, to treatment that I can share with my patients. And this this is what I do when, when I'm with, sitting with my patients. I can tell them, look, we're going to do this. I show them and then they see, they understand. I show them cases similar to their cases. And that builds kind of a transparency and trust. So on a patient level and on a student level. So I, I think it's a really a great tool. If utilized effectively, uh, it's a great marketing tool, good communication tool, good teaching tool. So why not? So that's and, um, and yeah. every, everyone is proud of their work. So it's nice to show your work. That also nice thing on a personal level. And um, if you look at the, I think it's something like when I look the something like seven thousand four hundred followers. Have, have they all arrived organically? That they just showed up because they've heard about you. They've been recommended by other people. It just happened. It's 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 a mixture. It's a mixture of uh, of followers. And uh, like uh, really, it, it grew over time. Uh, and uh, I have to mention they're real followers because sometimes you can buy followers. I I don't believe in that stuff, right? <laughs> but it's 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 real. It, it's a mixture. There are some colleagues, some doctors, some friends, some family, uh, some patients, uh, all over uh, all over the world. Like um, people from different countries and. And uh, but I would say the big part of the patients who are on my um, uh, my followers are a lot of them are in the dental field. A lot of them are in the dental field, so they're interested in my work, techniques. Sometimes there are some tips, so stuff to learn from. And the other, um, I have to say, absolutely marvelous um, web presence is the clinic, uh, dental house clinics. And I have to say that the website is quite beautiful, and um, and obviously the the views on the on the website of the interior of the clinic itself are breathtaking. Um, Thank you. Could you tell me a little bit about first of all about the clinic itself, um, uh, and also about the development of this really lovely website? Th- thank you so much. Thank you so much for this question, and th- this is a big part of me developing as a. Uh, as a clinician and as an entrepreneur and, and, and having a private practice, uh, I, I was fortunate really to work with a, with a group of uh, amazing dentists from various spe- uh, specialties that I considered like family. And uh, we're a group of eight doctors who started the clinic idea, uh, not only orthodontists, orthodontists, pediatric dentists, uh, prostodontists, periodontists, so uh, a prostodontist, a lot of various specialties. And we all sat together. And we felt like we really wanted to do something where you'd have a great experience, to have a great patient experience. And that is, you know, uh, walking into the office, uh, the the whole team, the front desk, uh, the doctors, because it's, you know, it's not just about the doctors. It's about the patient experience that they go through. Uh, and it has to come, you know, um, the decoration, the equipment, uh, the scheduling, all of that. So we try to uh, optimize things as best as possible, especially that, you know, what typically is known of, of clinics uh, before we started was like, it's a it's a very cold, you know, um, kind of dry place where there's, um, it's not very sophisticated. So we wanted to take it um, a notch up. And this is basically what, what we did. And, uh, but I always emphasize that, that having a nice and, organized clinic uh, that looks nice and luxurious and comfortable is good. But what's more important is the quality of work. So it also has to come all together. 
So in terms of the website, so we have an amazing team of two talented girls who are basically our, uh, our marketing, the heart of marketing, right? So they started the website and uh, we sat down with them as a group of doctors with them and they, they designed it. And uh, one of them is a graphic designer. So she started to develop everything, doing the pictures, and we added the content and we kept on revising it. Uh, gradually until we got it into the current uh, status that it is. Uh, we want it to be informative, transparent, uh, provide the necessary information that patients would look for. It is something important, though. If, if someone has a clinic, you have to have a website to to add that piece of, um, of information there for people to be able to communicate with you, learn more about you and the services that you provide. And in, in the clinic, are the patients coming into you uh, primarily through word of mouth recommendation or are you actively engaged in external marketing? Uh -huh. very, very good question. So uh, based on my experience, and people might have various experiences on this, is most of the patients that come to see me, the I would say 95% of the patients who would come to see me typically uh, have heard about me or searched me up or something. And it's usually a combination. I think what happens is that uh, someone might recommend the name of go and see Dr. Solomon, he's good or something of that sort. Then they would go online. So patients will never, in my opinion, nowadays, they would not come just because of one, through one single source. So it has to be a combination of things, word of mouth, uh, go through the internet, check the website, check social media. Like, I think they kind of are like mini uh, investigators before they come and see you. But yet that's good, right? Because if you have a full digital presence and a complete uh, digital profile, it adds legitimacy and it makes them feel comfortable that they came to the right doctor. But word of mouth is the, is, is the strongest, in my opinion. I think it's the strongest... Uh, marketing tool nowadays is, is, is uh, even though social media is, is very strong, but I, I still believe that word of mouth is one of the most influential ways of um, having patients come and visit you. So um, what does the future hold for Dr. Suleiman Shahin? Uh, talk, talk to me about the next three years and uh, without giving away any secrets, um, what's your vision for your career over the next three years? So my vision over the next uh, couple of years is uh, probably I'm going to follow on the same path that I'm doing right now uh, because um, I, I do, as we've mentioned earlier, I, I do some administration, I do some teaching, some research and some clinics. So very likely I'll continue on that same path. Uh, I have to say I would like to improve in terms of uh, balancing things. Uh, that is very critical. And that was one of, one of the uh, most challenging things that I face even nowadays is getting the right balance between things. Because um, I, I think it's good to be involved in a lot of activities. It can be overwhelming. It can be stressful many times. Uh, but it's okay. This is life, right? Uh, we're meant to struggle a little bit here and there. And as long as we, we keep on a smile and we enjoy it, it's okay. Uh, we might fall and we can rise again. That's okay. That's what happens. But trying to uh, maximize the balance is a challenge uh, between work, family, you know, uh, if you're a spiritual person, also on a religious base, uh, that kind of stuff uh, is challenging. And I hope that I will become a better person uh, in that aspect and also from a, on a health aspect. So health, social, you know, academic, career, work, family. 
Well, in my mind, without doubt, the future of orthodontics is in digital orthodontics, in whatever format that might be. So I, I think the majority of, uh, of orthodontics will be then uh, utilized using clear liner therapy. The most known and most advanced uh, company uh, in clear liner therapy is, uh, of course, Invisalign. So um, I would, uh, to be honest, nowadays, almost every orthodontist does, uh, does Invisalign aligners. So it, it is something that is, is part of the standard of care, uh, at least in Saudi. Uh, maybe in, in some um, other under, underdeveloped countries, maybe not so, but I know like probably in Europe, US, uh, you know, uh, the Gulf regions, I think it's it's part of the standard of care. So there'll be more of that. A lot of things will be digitally. Uh, there'll be more digital acquisition of data in terms of 3D uh, concepts. So it will be like uh, digital scans, 3D molds of the teeth, uh, 3D x-rays, um, 3D printing, so a lot of that will go into that, uh, uh, very likely. Um, and um, yeah, I would say probably more into the 3D. And doctors will be able to see and provide treatment for a larger scope uh, or a larger group of patients. Because if you adopt digital ideas and technology, you can become more efficient. If you're more efficient, that means it's less chair time. That means you can see more patients. Less chair time per patients, meaning you can see more patients. So, Thank you. A very interesting uh, theme um, that I've noticed throughout this whole conversation um, is that you have described your pupils as family. You have described your patients as family. You have described your partners in the clinic as family. And it strikes me that everybody in your world is a member of your family wherever you go. Is that, is that an accurate description? That, that, that's an accurate, accurate description and a very important one. Is we, we perceive things in life based on how, how we see it in our minds, right? Uh, if, if you think about everyone um, intimate to you, close to you, part of your success then you consider them like family and people around you can sense this like whether it's your friends uh, whether it's your uh, your patients is if they feel that you're close to them you're very intimate that helps you to become more successful believe it or not yes yes you might be the the service provider but it also helps you to flourish uh, in your career and do better and uh, you have to look at things from a positive standpoint Thank you so much. So um, I believe that it would be appropriate at that stage for us to allow you to get back to your family. And uh, I am sure uh, that just outside that door, there are two kids who are waiting to spend some time with their dad. Um, in the meantime, uh, I'm going to say a thank you. Uh, it has been fascinating, interesting, lovely to meet you, Dr. Suleiman. Uh, I wish you every success. Uh, over these three years ahead and beyond and I have no doubt that that success will follow you uh, so thank you for sharing this time with us thank you so much Chris it's really uh, exciting uh, I, I really enjoyed this session uh, it's great uh, thank you for having me it's a great honor and pl a pleasure uh, I enjoyed it a lot I hope I was not too lengthy in, in describing certain things but uh, I enjoy having discussions so 
Uh, I speak out of my heart, so I hope uh, it translated that way. And uh, I hope to see you one day uh, in person, maybe in the UK or in Saudi. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I hope so too. Thank you once again. Uh, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Uh, but for now, uh, thank you, Dr. Suleiman, and thank you to our listeners for the time that you spent with us. We will see you next time. Thank you, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Suleiman. There was a lot discussed, but a single thread that stood out for me was how cultivating a mindset of integrity was core to his philosophy of care. From advising his students to be on the lookout for pressures that could encourage them to cut corners, to seeing all relationships, including his patients, from a lens of familial bond, so that every interaction he has comes from a place of authenticity and care, even if one is seen as simply a service provider. And this, I'm sure you'll agree, is admirable. So that's it for this episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us by rating and reviewing our podcast. It helps people to find us. And if you haven't already, do subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. In the next episode, I'll be talking with another prominent orthodontist from the region to get to know them, understand their mindsets, motivations, and how they've built their practice. But until then, I'm Chris Barrow, and this has been The Practice.